This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Welcome, everybody. My name is Benjamin Day. And I am Jillian Mason. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Now, right now, the sobering news of the day is that we're witnessing the largest war in Europe since World War II as Russia invades Ukraine. You know, at the moment, uh, U.S. troops are not directly involved in the conflict, but it has got us thinking about the health care that military personnel receive particularly after they're discharged into uh, civilian life. And there's no one better to talk about veterans health care than Suzanne Gordon, who joins us for the program. Jillian, do you want to introduce Suzanne? I certainly do. We're so lucky to have Suzanne with us. She is an award-winning journalist and author. She's written for the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and many other publications. She's also the author, co-author, or editor of 22 different books, including most recently, Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. She also wrote The Battle for Veterans Healthcare, Dispatches from the Frontlines of Policymaking and Patient Care. Suzanne, Welcome to the show. We are so glad to have you. Thank you so much. And and I'm excited to let you know that I'm also co-authoring a new book that's coming out in July or August with Duke University Press called Our Veterans, Winners and Losers, Friends and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. And I just want to give a shout out to the group that I co-founded and serve as a senior policy analyst on, which is Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute. So if folks want to know more about this issue, they can go to veteranspolicy.org and, and find out. Awesome. Suzanne is so much more productive than the rest of us. And <laughs> we, we've decided that she's the Stephen King of healthcare policy. Uh, she's written more books than anyone. So yeah, so we're excited to have you on the program. Let's just start out because I think a, a lot of our listeners who aren't veterans, and then a lot of people in general who aren't veterans, don't actually have much experience with the Veterans Administration. So can you just give us the Cliff Notes version? Um, yeah, you know, sure. Just tell us what is the VA? It's interesting that you say Veterans Administration because that actually doesn't exist. The VA stands for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and it is, there's a bit of a debate, is it the second or third largest agency in the federal government? I'm going to make it second, whatever, after the Pentagon. And the Department of Veterans Affairs has three sub-agencies, the Veterans Health Administration. So when we talk about VA healthcare, we're referring to the VHA, the Veterans Health Administration, largest healthcare system in the country by far. And it is the only publicly funded, fully integrated and coordinated healthcare system in the country. And I'm going to give you a couple examples of that. Veterans benefit in, in administration and they administer the GI Bill, home loans, pensions, compensation for service-related injuries, a bunch of other stuff, and the Veterans Cemetery Administration. And the big fight is really about the Veterans Health Administration. The Veterans Health Administration has four missions. 
most people have. You know, we all see that sign VA hospital exit here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very few people know what goes on in a VA hospital. It's the largest healthcare system in the country. And not a lot of vets know all that's going on in the VA. The VA has four missions. It's to deliver clinical care to veterans. In the in the course of doing that, Jillian and Ben, it has developed models of care that really is, this is why Medicare for All folks need to, to understand the VA. Because, you know, Medicare for All, single payer, whatever you call it, is a payment mechanism only. The VA is a payer and a provider. And that makes change in, in developing new models of care a lot easier, right? right. Yeah. The provider and the payer. So the VA practically invented geriatric care. The VA put PTSD on the map, even though they did it in the beginning, kicking and streaming by the pressure of Vietnam vets. The VA has developed palliative care is amazing, end of life care in the VA. Primary care, they integrated primary and mental health care, and they did this in every VA. And it's really, I mean, one could go on and on and on. Rehab care. They the the DOD uses the VA by the way for rehab because they don't have rehab services in their hospitals. Um, and Suzanne, how do veterans get to the VA system? I, I understand not all vets can qualify, yeah. but and most people think that any vet can get care at the VA. That is not true. Congress and the American people refuse to pay the cost of war. And so basically we have a cockamamie crazy system of eight priority groups. You have to have this service-connected disability of this percent. You have to have a low income. Essentially, the VA cherry-picks the sickest, oldest, and poorest vets Mm -hmm. and gives them better care than the private sector gives healthier, wealthier people at lower cost. And I just want to race through these two other missions because the clinical care is the first mission. The VA is the hub of the American health professional teaching system. 70% of American physicians in training go through the VA, nurses, PTs, psychologists. And then it's the biggest research hub after NIH in the country. I always thank the VA for my shingles vaccine. I needed an implantable pacemaker, which I don't yet, but may and all kinds of other research. And then finally, and this is so critical, is the VA's fourth mission, which is to service back up to the nation's civilian sector or non-VA healthcare system in times of Mm. emergency, like the coronavirus. They Mm. welcomed patients into VAs who weren't VA patients. Oh, interesting. They sent folks all over the country to hotspots. We can't go into it, but if you want to check on our website, BHPI, veteranspolicy.org, there's coronavirus was amazing. And it's because it's a nonprofit mission-driven system. Everybody's on salary, there's no incentive to overtreat, et cetera. And this point you brought up, the Veterans Administration is both, it's a public insurance plan essentially, but also a publicly administered delivery system, the hospitals, the doctors. And I lived in England for a year. This is actually how the healthcare system by and large is run in, in the whole country of England and the UK. And this is what is described as socialized medicine by the right. You know, Ronald Reagan, back when he was just an actor, was hired by the American Medical Association to record this literally on records, this kind of attack on national health care as undermining American values, as creeping socialized medicine, which was a term that was meant to evoke socialism, I think, and has been ever since then. You don't say. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what you're saying, though, is that really this system is better than even just a single payer system that enables you to do coordinated care. You can make changes to the whole system that you can't do when you have all these separate, private, especially profit-driven uh, delivery system. So are you saying socialized medicine, good thing? <laughs> socialized medicine, it's interesting. You talk about American values. If your American value is let everybody die in a ditch, don't take care of people even about the money, unleash predatory insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and docs and hospitals, unleash the sick and vulnerable. That's not my American value. My American value is take care of everyone. And regardless of the choices we make, because all of us make bad healthcare choices, you know, or we have bad genes or, you know, there's something about us that's bad. And the other thing is, not just giving care to people and not gouging them to get care, but it's coordinating that care. You know, we are in a profit-driven healthcare system that gives us treatment more often than care, and that charges us extraordinary prices for them. My S-string, as a 76-year-old lady, I shouldn't be talking about my S-string, but you know, we talk about our health shit on this podcast way too much. <laughs> 15 years ago, my estrogen cost 30 bucks and now it costs 150. I mean, really? And how come my doctor wants to give me a bone density scan when I've made it clear that I'm not going to take any meds, whatever it shows up? It's just ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. I got a solicitation from my doctor that would have put me into a Medicare direct contracting entity. Anyway, the VA, that doesn't happen at the VA. I mean, the big brother that we have to watch out for is the private sector big brother, not the big brother of the government. And if I could get healthcare at the VA, I would do it in a nanosecond I because it's coordinated, it's patient-centered, they understand the population they're dealing with. Veterans have very specific healthcare problems. They aren't like you and me, you know? And they have multiple problems. They have mental health problems. They have PTSD and traumatic brain injury and an amputation and burn pit exposure, Asian orange. I mean, the average Medicare patient has three to five presenting problems. The average Vietnam vet has nine to 12. And Iraq vets and Afghanistan vets have even more because, you know, the reality of modern warfare is we contract out a lot of services. So all kinds of services that would have kept people out of harm's way in combat zones like cooking and clerical work and logistics and mechanics. That's done by contractors. And so more folks are out there getting shot at and shooting and getting hurt. And then also because of the amazing battlefield triage, folks that would have died from something in World War II, World Korean War, World War I, Vietnam, live forever needing care. So we have a lot of problems. And by the way, there's an assumption in Congress, the veteran population is declining. Well, mm. it may be numerically, but the problems are increasing. And now we're seeing a new war with lots of people being deployed. The minute you deploy people, even if they're not shot at, they start getting hurt. So don't assume that we're, I mean, not going to get into another war. I wish we weren't, but oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a, a, a live question right now, right? Yeah. So this sounds like a very important program, Suzanne. So you've written a lot over the years about the kind of covert attempt to privatize the VA on the down low. What exactly has that effort been like? What does that mean in practice when we talk about trying to privatize the VA? 
We are all in the Medicare for All world trying to fight privatization of traditional Medicare, right? Right. Yep. Well, they're using the same playbook. I mean, it's the same playbook, whether it's charter schools, whether it's garbage services, whatever. And essentially, you know, you say that the public system doesn't work. You blame public employees for being awful. You know, you attack the government and then you say the private sector is the only way to go and the public sector can do no right. And basically, you have a group of folks initially funded by the Koch brothers who spend millions and millions of dollars every year to pretend that the VA is no good and to erode faith in government. And then you have the hospital industry that VA's budget is some on medical care is like 90 billion, and they want some of that pot of gold. Pharmaceutical industry that doesn't like the VA because they get to negotiate pharmaceutical prices. That's right. I think they get the lowest rates in the country, right? Lowest drug prices, yeah. Right, because they're allowed to negotiate with the pharmaceutical industry. So you have a very massive constituency that wants this money. And basically, they jump on any glitch, tiny little glitch that can, that happens in the Veterans Health Administration, the VHA. And they, you know, have spent millions of dollars infiltrating into both the right-wing media and the liberal sort of mainstream media, New York Times, NPR, Washington Post. And, you know, the VA, I didn't mention this, Ben and Jillian, but the VA is the most accountable healthcare system in the country. Any time that doesn't get care, they don't get their PT on time, they can go to their congressman and initiate a congressional, like an Office of Inspector General Report, Government Accountability Office, et cetera, Congress. So you have these watchdogs and they publicize any blip. Now, the same exact things are happening in the private sector and you don't know at all about them. They're all hidden. <laughs> they're all hidden. And people have settled, you know, they sign non-disclosure agreements if it's real malpractice, et cetera, et cetera. So basically the right wing has spent millions to discredit the VA. It started in 2014 with Phoenix. And there was a wait time scandal that was generated by a very stupid productivity measure that was unrealistic. And there were bonuses attached. And so very minimal bonuses, by the way. The VA bonuses are kind of a joke. The Cleveland Clinic, Toby Cosgrove, who was CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, had verifiable, serious Medicare violations, dozens of them. They almost shut down Medicare payments to the clinic. And for each year that he was administering this terrible patient care, he got something like $500,000 raises. And people at the VA get five grand and people flip out. And by the way, I want to mention that private sector, a CEO, you know, a healthcare system as big as the VA would probably be earning 29, 30 million a year. And the secretary, undersecretary for health at the VA is earning in the mid 200,000. So our taxpayer money is going to the right things. So does the VA have a waitlist crisis? Because obviously we hear this all the time about Medicare for all pointing to Canada, pointing to the UK. When some of these countries have conservative administration, they slash the budget and then they do end up with wait times, but it's because the system was under attack. What, what happened with the VA? Actually, the wait time crisis, particularly after COVID, is in the private sector. So basically, they're trying to create a wait time crisis in the VA by privatizing the VA. There have been legislative initiative, the Mission Act of 2018, which has basically sent more and more VA patients to the private sector. 
the 20% of the VA's budget is now going to pay private sector providers where wait times are longer and quality is lower. And a recent study just came out in the British Medical Journal that looked at vets who are dual eligible. This is really an important study for Medicare for all people. And they found that Vets who go, who are taken by ambulance kind of randomly to a private sector ER or a VA ER, they have a 20% higher chance of dying, an increase of mortality of 20% if you go to a private sector ER, and it costs 21% more. Wow, that's um, incredible. Die there. That about and, sums up the whole problem with our healthcare system, right? Yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're paying and, more for worse care. <laughs> yeah, and basically, these authors have done some more studies that show that private sector providers don't coordinate care for the, the veteran patients, unlike the VA, which is why they live. And also, they do more high-cost things as opposed to low-cost coordination and management. But, I mean, I can't impress enough on folks who are Medicare for All advocates that it's so important to learn something about the VA. I mean, the thing is that, you know, I've talked to lots of Medicare for All advocates, and most of them don't know much about the VA at all. And they know more about Canada or Taiwan or the NHS in England than they do about the healthcare system around the corner. Also, veterans are, they're a small but very important constituency because they have a lot of ethical and moral sway in their communities, and their communities are not the usual suspect. So it's really important, I think, for people to understand that there's just some talking points that are pretty easy to master, like the VA gives better care at lower cost than the private sector. Yeah, that's a really important point. And I, when you're building a social movement like we have to to win this, obviously, it should be led by the communities that are most impacted and I think you're just highlighting veterans are one of those communities most impacted by health needs and also just the health care that they need. So we have the success of those who can get into the system. And then obviously some veterans really struggle who can't get into the Veterans Administration system. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're excluded by income if you have too high an income by lack of service connection and also by discharge status. So if you've got what's called a bad paper discharge, you can't get VA help. And those are often people who've been raped, you know, and reported sexual trauma, PTSD, etc. I mean, we have probably as a movement not been doing a great job of reaching out to and working with the VA. And I think that's why the organization you mentioned at the very beginning is so important. But the right wing has been jumping on this and has been yes, yes. cultivating veterans to oppose Medicare for all. Can you say a little bit more about yes, how absolutely. Uh, about that? Yeah, totally. So under Trump, particularly the former secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie wrote, I think it was a press release or whatever, saying that Bernie Sanders-style socialism would destroy and dismantle the VA. The guy who worked for the Koch brothers, Darren Selnick, had a, an op-ed on The Hill saying, you know, that Medicare for All would attack and destroy the VA. I mean, the irony here is that these are people who want to destroy the VA, saying that Medicare for All will destroy the VA as if destroying the VA is and that's they spend their every waking moment trying to do that. But folks have got to be familiar with the facts that the Medicare for All bills don't touch the VA. They leave the VA as it is. But more to the point, if one of the mechanisms, the main mechanisms of privatizers is to starve the public sector of 
resources and cannibalize their resources to pay for private sector. That's what is happening with the VA Mission Act and some other initiatives that, by the way, are supported by a bipartisan coalition in Congress. If, if it was just the Republicans that were the problem, we would have a much easier job. But so it's very important for Medicare for All activists to have a minimal familiarity with the VA because they will go into talk to staffers who have read the same, you know, purple Kool-Aid nonsense that, that a lot of, of Medicare for All folks have read. And so it's really important for them to understand that not only will, will the VA not be harmed or altered by Medicare for All legislation, but also the main privatizing mechanism will be taken away, which is why I think that the right wing is so threatened by Medicare for All. Because see, if right now under the name of choice, they're appealing to vets and saying, we're not going to trap you in this terrible government system. You have a choice of any doctor or hospital or whatever, if you meet certain criteria. And the VA, that money going to the private sector comes out of the VA budget. So that means there's money in the VA budget to take to, to add staff to the VA to to repair infrastructure and so on. Well, if you have Medicare for all, and I'm a vet, and I want to go to Joe Smith private sector doc, I can go to Joe Smith private sector doc, mm -hmm. and, and that money is not going to come out of the VA budget. So right. gone is the main right, mechanism right. for attacking the VA. Mm -hmm. Suzanne, we have some comments on our, on Facebook from folks who are watching this live, and uh, they're talking a little bit about the privatization of the VA. And so one of our favorite listeners, Kathy Courtney, over in Texas, Go Lone Star State, points out that the VA has claimed that the charge that they're privatizing is actually false. I read a, a press release that the VA put out from 2018 saying, oh, we're not privatizing, we're not doing that. This is great. I'm so glad that we have this question. You know, the main privatizers in Congress who are tragically not just Jerry Moran and he was there, Phil Rowe and Jeff Miller, but they're also John Tester and sometimes Mark Decano, who, depending on which way. Right. So Democrats. Many Democrats. Most Democrats voted for the VA Mission Act of 2018, which radically in accelerated outsourcing. They vote for other. Uh, outsourcing initiatives, and they all claim it's not privatization. How do they get away with that? Even CVA, even Koch brothers say they're not trying to privatize the VA. They <laughs> define privatization as the wholesale closing down of the federal program, total closing down, selling off all the assets, laying off all the staff, you know, selling the land and the private sector moves in. Privatization involves a spectrum of activities. That's the most extreme end of the spectrum. Very that, that doesn't happen that often. It would never happen with the VA because veterans are really don't the private is the P word is a is a really dirty word in the veteran community. That's why they've got this choice word. And so the strategy is the salami strategy. You know, you harass them. You make things difficult. You make the public sector look more like the private sector. You take money out 20% this year, 30% next year. Yeah. And you cripple it until that sort of collapses. So the reason why these people who are privatizers say they're not is because they define only the most extreme end of the spectrum as privatization. And we have to say outsourcing more and more care when you've 
increase the budget for private sector care in three years by 200, 200%, the highest estimate I've seen, 500%, that is privatization. Sorry, end of story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it sounds like one of the ways in which we stop the privatization of the VA is by supporting the Medicare for all, the federal Medicare for all legislation right now that would actually protect the VA. And as you said, cut off one of the main avenues for that slow creep of privatization that you described. And so what else do we need to do, Suzanne? What do we need to do to save the VA? Well, stop the privatization. You have constituents in every state who could go to their look online and find out Senator Blumenthal in Connecticut, the House Veterans Affairs Committee, the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, find the Dems, find the Republicans and go to them and say, stop the outsourcing, change the eligibility requirements, expand the VA so that all veterans, we can afford to give every veteran care at the VA. We Right now, out of the 19 million living veterans, we can we have about 9 million. They could all get it and it would not cost, it would cost way less. Medicare, for example, here's a very simple thing. The VA is allowed to bill, if you are a vet and you have a private insurance and you go to the VA, they can bill the private insurance company for your non-service related mm. care. Yeah, they're not mm-hmm. allowed to bill Medicare. You spam the VA exponentially by allowing by just allowing vets who are Medicare eligible to, you know, to yeah. be able to yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me just add one thing. In the next several weeks, under this crazy Mission Act uh, that was passed, they're starting something called the Asset and Infrastructure Review Commission, which is a commission that is heavily stacked towards the hospital industry, which is going to look at which VA facilities to close, improve, repurpose, consolidate. And there could be a potentially the biggest hospital closing project in the history of the United States and Medicare for all folks. I mean, you guys have contact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's about talking to veterans and how do you get these veterans on board? It's about talking to veteran service organizations. They're very conservative, but you can begin a conversation with them. And it's about when you're lobbying for Medicare for all, talk about the VA. It is a great system. I mean, I have to tell you that because there, because a lot of Medicare for all folks are liberals and progressives, they often don't know vets. They don't have a reality check. They talk to people. And I mean, I'm telling you, if we don't organize them, the right wing is organizing them as we speak. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think there's also just a geographic thing that so many vets were come from the South or recruited in the South. And a lot of the progressive activism is happening, you know, in coastal, more progressive cities. And, you know, we so. also owe it to vets. I mean, the reality is I'm anti-war, you know, and there are many folks in, in the Medicare for All camp who are very anti, anti-military, who don't like these military adventures and so forth. And let me tell you, the one of the most effective mechanisms by which we can attack the, the military adventurism that is killing so many people from home and abroad is through enacting Medicare for all because the one of the main recruitment tools of the military since the all-volunteer military is healthcare, free healthcare and education. And, and by the way, if we ever get real power, 
the military will come down on us like, I mean, nothing we've ever seen because that's going to take away one of their pillars. The two pillars they have is free education and free health care. So, you know, there's so many good reasons to look at the VA. And I think we really have to appreciate that we have an excellent homegrown model of care. And folks need to know about it so they can rebut the misinformation. And I, I just want to tease that, you know, this is obviously a much longer conversation. And, and as we said before, right, the fact that there is this major war going on right now in Europe really makes this a particularly urgent question right now. And so I wanted to tease the fact that we're going to be continuing this conversation at our healthcare conference. It's the Medicare for All strategy conference. It's an annual event that we at Healthcare Now sponsor, along with a number of different co-sponsors, including the labor campaign for single payer. And so we're going to be talking at the conference about veterans healthcare. We're going to have Suzanne back and others who can talk not just about the VA and the campaign to save the VA, but also about what Suzanne's been talking about, about building relationships with veterans and making sure that we bring veterans into the Medicare for All movement and elevate their voices. Agree 100%. And I, I don't want to leave before thanking our podcast team as well. Thank you so much, uh, Suzanne. This was it's really, so really fun. helpful. Thank I think, you. as you said, we we all really need to educate ourselves more about the, the veterans healthcare, access to healthcare in the VA system. Um, so thank you so much to our podcast team, without whom we could not do this podcast. Podcast manager was Angelique Davis. Our audio editor was Arena Budanova. And our show notes writer was Jerry Katz. Um, and we also want to just close with, you know, solidarity for the people of Ukraine, which was kind of how we opened this episode as things are really, really getting crazy there. So thank you so much, Suzanne. And thanks to everyone else. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Stay dangerous. <laughs>